Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of GTI Insights, the Global Taiwan Institute's policy podcast. My name is Marshall Reed, and I'm a program manager here with GTI. And I'm David Calhoun, an intern at GTI. And today we're, we're so excited to be joined by Dr. Seung Hyun Lee, a visiting scholar at Harvard University's Fairbanks Center for Chinese Studies and a senior fellow at the George W. Bush Foundation for U.S.-China Relations. Prior to his current position, Dr. Lee served as director of the Center for Chinese Studies and the Department of Unification Studies at the Sejong Institute, a foreign policy and national security think tank based in Seoul, South Korea. His research on the foreign policies of South Korea, China, and the U.S. has appeared in publications around the world, and he's the author of The U.S.-China Competition, Who Will Rule the World? Dr. Lee, thanks so much for speaking with us today. Well, thank you for a very gracious introduction, and also thank you for having me today. Well, Dr. Lee, I'm, I'm so glad you could join us to discuss one of the more unorthodox and interesting relationships in East Asia, which is the, the South Korea-Taiwan relationship. For much of the 20th century, the two nations maintained fairly close ties. They cooperated economically and engaged in frequent political exchanges and diplomatic visits. However, following Seoul's decision to switch its diplomatic recognition from the Republic of China to the People's Republic of China in 1992, relations between the two countries have grown somewhat distant. While the two have a number of economic and geopolitical parallels, Seoul and Taipei have spent much of the past three decades holding each other somewhat at arm's length. During that time, however, so much has changed in East Asia. Faced with an increasingly bold China, challenging economic and geopolitical conditions, and rising transnational security threats, South Korea and Taiwan could soon be forced to reevaluate their relationship with one another in some way. With all this in mind, we're, we're so excited to have you here to discuss the, the South Korea-Taiwan relationship, the results of the, the recent 2022 Korean presidential election, and Korea's changing role in regional security arrangements. So just to jump right into it, for our, our listeners who might not have as much of a background on this relationship between South Korea and Taiwan, could you give us a bit of background on what is the current state of it, a little bit of the history, and what factors have historically shaped the relationship between the two? I would describe uh, the relationship between South Korea and Taiwan as friends who have been estranged, uh, as you described, after uh, South Korea switched its diplomatic relations to the mainland China in 1992. But then prior to that, there is a very uh, strong bonding between South Korea and Taiwan as two states, actually, at the time, because at the time, they, uh, during the Cold War era, they had uh, this state-to-state uh, -state diplomatic relations. And actually, it was Taiwan who helped, at the end of World War II, recognize South Korea when South Korea declared its statehood in 1948. Taiwan was the second country in the world after only the United States to recognize South Korea's uh, statehood. And uh, it was Taiwan also helped uh, South Korea among other countries and US and US allies during the Korean War by dispatching a small a special group of soldiers uh, who dealt with the Chinese uh, soldiers, uh, particularly Chinese prisoners of war uh, because uh, they both speak Chinese and uh, they contributed in terms of uh, uh, collecting, analyzing uh, intelligence in China during the Cold War, uh, the Korean War. During the Cold War era, uh, both South Korea and Taiwan were also both very staunch anti-communist 
countries, and they are both <laughs> divided countries and that aspiring for reunification. And they both had a very, uh, still do, uh, had a very close relationship uh, with the United States. So given these three characteristics of bonding, uh, special uh, history uh, after the Cold War, during the Cold War era and after uh, World War II, you know, South Koreans at the time, even including myself, who grew up in the 1970s and uh, 80s, uh, you know, we are taught from, you know, you know by school, you know, called, referred to Taiwan as Free China, Chayu Jungkook, Free China, in contrast to the communist PRC. But as I mentioned, things changed after 1992 when South Korea switched its uh, diplomatic relations to mainland China as, as part of the uh, China's demand for keeping up, uh, uh, its, uh, severing its South Korea relations uh, with Taiwan. Well, thanks so much. I mean, I, I think that was a great overview of what's clearly a, a very complex and unique relationship between South Korea and Taiwan. I'm curious, you, you mentioned that Korea sees Taiwan as, as a friend, but still continues to hold it somewhat at a distance. So be be curious for, for Koreans in general, and particularly for Korean policymakers, what, what do they think about when they think of Taiwan? And in particular, what, what role does Taiwan, if any, play in South Korea's strategic thinking? Some historians, uh, particularly those Cold War historians, uh, call, describe the Korean War as a forgotten war. Because, you know, Americans talk about Vietnam, but they seldom talk about Korean War. So it's, it's, it's a you know, forgotten war. For many South Korean political elite and politicians, uh, Taiwan is like a forgotten entity, to be uh, frank and honest for our uh, conversation. And of course, the reason was the 1992 uh, South Korea's uh, switching diplomatic relations to the uh, mainland China. But then, just like many other countries in the world, China has been a black hole when it comes to uh, economic uh, ties. You know, China quickly became the largest uh, trading partner, largest South Korea's outbound export destination, and largest South Korea's foreign direct investment uh, destination as well. And right now, quarter of South Korea's entire global trade is done with a single country called China. And the trade relationship between South Korea and China in the mere span of the last uh, 30 years of diplomatic relations is uh, in a larger than the combined trade relationship between South Korea and the United States plus South Korea and Japan combined together. So given this size and magnitude, and also geopolitical, you know, geographic proximity uh, between Seoul and Beijing, or Seoul and Shanghai for the matter too, China has been a black hole and the South Korea has been gravitating toward this you know, black hole and while not paying very much attention to uh, its former friend, Taiwan. I would call it that way. Great. No, and 
building on what you're just sharing about South Korea's trade and economic ties in the Indo-Pacific, uh, obviously one of the more increasingly important issues right now is the semiconductor supply chain. And South Korea and Taiwan are home to two of the leading manufacturers of them, TSMC and Samsung. I was wondering if you'd share a bit of your thoughts on how TSMC's advantages over its Korean competitors in this critical industry influences South Korea-Taiwan relations. I think uh, uh, you raised the question while you are answering the question uh, as well. I mean, the answer lies right there. TSMC has clear advantage over Samsung Electronics. Uh, they are both number one and number two in the world when it comes to foundry uh, semiconductors. Uh, TSMC is number one, Samsung is number two. But when it comes to market capitalization, Samsung's market capitalization is about 64% of TSMC because in the during the pandemic period, TSMC's uh, uh, stock price just skyrocketed while Samsung actually has declined. <laughs> so this really uh, produced the gap. And uh, you know, TSMC is certainly, uh, uh, and objectively speaking, ahead of Samsung. And the TSMC, as you know, is setting up a factory in Japan, also is setting a factory in the United States, and also they're talking to uh, some of the European uh, countries. So TSMC has become a darling uh, uh, in this industry, and uh, Samsung is, uh, uh, in a way, when it comes to the quantity and percentile uh, occupancy, is a distant second. But being a both belonging to a, a, a U.S. You know, democracy uh, league, and both belonging to the same uh, semiconductor industry. That does not necessarily mean that they are always competing each other. The market is huge, and sometimes you know when uh, one sector is lacking and the other sector could provide. Uh, you know, so actually, there has has been some histories between. South Korea's Samsung and other uh, semiconductor uh, companies and Taiwanese companies, also in other sectors of industry, they are complementing each other. And being that the market is huge and important and strategic, and they both belong to democracy camp, I think it's not a a bit uh, short-sighted and simplistic just to describe the two companies two notable companies' relationship purely as a competitive. There are some complementary uh, 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 room that they could also you know, cooperate uh, each other, particularly given the fact that uh, this semiconductor, particularly foundry industry, requires a huge, huge uh, investment, investment, uh, annual investment uh, that should be followed as well. So that's why you know, American companies like uh, Intel uh, abandoned this semiconductor industry is that, you know, it, it's a black hole that you have to keep pouring money into it on uh, annual basis. And, uh, you know, they want to do something else. That's why TSMC and Samsung took over. But then, you know, semiconductor uh, during this US-China rivalry became a, a very important sector. Uh, and uh, TSMC, uh, from a bird's eye view, TSMC is indeed a, 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 a you know, company uh, that kind of signifies the import, you know, Taiwan's strategic importance uh, 
uh, in this US China rivalry, uh, also supply chain, uh, uh, you know, whole network. But then when it comes to uh, Taiwan's strategic importance to United States. So, you know, I'm, I'm so glad to have you here at this very moment, because this is a time of great political change in South Korea. Just last month, South Korea elected Yoon Suk-yeol as its new president in the closest presidential election in modern history. While Yoon has expressed some desire to maintain positive relations with, with China, he's also been known to criticize China for a number of different causes on a number of different occasions. Given these kind of conflicting past statements, how do you think Yoon will approach Taiwan and China during his presidency? Uh, during the campaign trail, you made a lot of comments about China. And I think that 90% of those comments are actually negative. For example, uh, he criticized the outgoing Moon Jae-in, uh, President Moon Jae-in administration as uh, you know, implementing a pro-China appeasement policy. He criticized it. He also said that uh, most of the Chinese uh, people don't like South Korea. And also, most of South Koreans don't like China either, particularly the young South Koreans. You know, many people became worried because this is not very a diplomatic comment as a presidential candidate. Because when you become a president of a country, you know, you need to deal with China. And you are not a local politician anymore. Having said that, this naturally raised the question, now, he really has become the president, uh, uh, next president of South Korea, who will inaugurate in you know May 10th, in about 20 days from now. How he will implement or carry out what he said during the campaign trail and uh, in, into a real policy or reflect into the real policy. That is something that you know, we have to wait and see. But based on his uh, foreign policy, official foreign policy platforms, and some of the uh, major comments from himself and also some of his uh, close diplomatic advisors during the campaign period, some of them whom I know personally as well, uh, you know, we could see that definitely Yoon will have more closer ties with the United States and also align himself more closely with the U.S. thinking on U.S.-China rivalry, and which also includes uh, U.S. thinking Taiwan issue as well. Yeah, and diving deeper into what you were just saying about the U.S.-South Korea alliance relationship and what you are saying about Yoon wanting to develop that further during his presidency, the hub-and-spoke system that the U.S. has with South Korea and Japan could be critically important in the event of a conflict that involves Taiwan and North Korea. I'm just curious what your thoughts are on the main issues that face that alliance system that can make such a scenario difficult for all sides to manage. Well, that's a good question. I may rephrase the, uh, you know, your question, uh, since this is focused on Taiwan. Uh, I could uh, probably say that, uh, you know, asking a question, is there anything that the U.S. could do to encourage South Korea to do more to support Taiwan or Taiwan issue? 
And I think that the most important thing is the U.S. leadership. And that is even including when it comes to rounding up uh, international support, solidarity for Taiwan as well. Because it was the very moment that international society uh, began to pay uh, serious attention and uh, you know, dedicated attention, placed their focus on the Taiwan issue. I would say that it was the, at the end of uh, you know, U.S.-Japan summit in April last year and when the joint statement included the Taiwan issue, the importance of stability in Taiwan. And one month later, U.S.-South Korea summit joint statement also included the importance of stability in Taiwan. Later, in the summitries and the high-level meetings between the United States and the Europe also included this same phrase. What that means is that, you know, Washington is uh, rounding up on behalf of Taiwan that, you know, trying to uh, collect and gather support, international support, uh, campaign for Taiwan. And uh, Washington's allies, friends, partners, like-minded countries in Asia, Europe, yeah, they are joining this uh, campaign, uh, solidarity around Taiwan. So we, we can see, you know, there are some, you know, in the media, there are some criticism about the decline in U.S. leadership uh, in international, uh, you know, landscape or, you know, the, the democratic, so-called democratic decay in the United States. Nonetheless, I think that when it comes to Taiwan issue, and also for that matter on the Ukraine issue, what it shows is that how the U.S. initiative, U.S. leadership matters and is important when it comes to important international issues like Ukraine and Taiwan issue as well. And so I think that due credit, due credit, should be given to Washington. Even for you know, South Korea's case as well, 70 years ago, when South Korea was an impoverished country, very weak, poor country, just out of World War II colonial experience, it was the U.S.-led international uh, U.N. troops that you know, you know, helped South Korea during the Korean War. So you know, entities like Seoul or Taipei, you know, we have this historical, you know, real experience of being benefited from, you know, the leadership of Washington and re really counts even in today in 2022. It was the U.S. leadership that choreographed all this international solidarity around Taiwan. It was also the U.S. leadership that helped the international solidarity uh, on behalf of Ukraine. Just yesterday, uh, if you uh, put some money on the you know stock market in the U.S. stock market, Netflix lost quite a lot of money. Its stock price declined about thirty-five percent because it lost you know two hundred thousand subscribers, but seven hundred subscribers lost uh, from Russia because Netflix, an American company, 
you know, withdraw from Russian market to show support for U.S. policy, to show support for freedom and democracy and human rights at the expense of financial costs. So I think that there is uh, room for appreciation and uh, of, of refreshing uh, the robustness, vigilance of U.S. leadership uh, in this very uh, confusing period uh, uh, that we are living in right now. Well, I'm glad you brought up the role that the U.S. can play in supporting South Korea on a more sort of rhetorical and ideological level. But I'd like to turn a little bit more towards what the U.S. can do to support South Korea and its deterrent abilities on a more material, physical level. In a, in a recent piece that you wrote for the Stimson Center, you, you argued that only when South Korean deterrence capabilities are enhanced, quote, vis-a-vis North Korea and China, its immediate two neighbors, would South Korea feel more free to focus on security issues outside of the Korean Peninsula? So I'd be interested to hear what your thoughts are on what the U.S. could do. What sorts of policies could the U.S. pursue that would support South Korea's deterrent capabilities and make it feel more free to pursue these security concerns beyond its immediate neighborhood? From the Ukraine crisis, what Taiwan or Taiwanese confirmed was that despite U.S. officially sounding out strategic ambiguity uh, on the Taiwan issue, but when it is a matter of uh, freedom, democracy, human rights, you know, U.S. is willing to take leadership at the expense of some, you know, economic and even domestic political uh, costs. Uh, and also, U.S. is uh, you know likely to you know, come to your help. And from strategy perspective, from Indo-Pacific strategy perspective, the status of Taiwan, from my perspective, is much more important than Ukraine. So I think that you know it was the moment that for U.S. allies and friends and partners. You know, frankly speaking, we have this common anxiety, uh, to be frank, even including Japan as well, actually. When the moment comes that we are attacked by a third party or any adversary, will U.S. really come to our help? And I think that it was clearly demonstrated, uh, showed uh, in the Ukraine crisis. So... When there is a crisis, there is a global audience, including U.S. allies and partners, including Seoul and Taiwan, Taipei. And uh, I think it was a good, healthy impact, a positive impact on the global audience about the credibility of uh, U.S. leadership, uh, and also in terms of deterrence. Having said that, the whole global narrative about Taiwan issue, as I mentioned, is... Uh, you know, Taiwan has been there always, but the real Taiwan crisis this time is about you know, a bit more than one year old. And it really started uh, like last year. And, you know, you are in Washington, D.C. And, uh, you, know, you know, there are more robust discussions every day about Taiwan. But faraway countries like uh, people, those politicians in Seoul, this is a, they are baby stepping. Uh, they're beginning to learn more about this issue. They're beginning to uh, begin to pay attention to this issue. So 
there are some uh, gaps of understanding, uh, degree of attention, uh, different domestic political angles, and also South Korea's special circumstance of uh, facing the North Korean threat every day. Or, or, and don't forget, South Korea is a country sitting right next to a humongous country, a giant, you know, China. So South Korea is uh, facing uh, its own uh, uh, security issues every day uh, in, in, you know, on top of, uh, you know, right next to the uh, Western uh, side as well. So I think that how uh, U.S., Washington, and South Korea, uh, you know, gradually, uh, you know, narrow this gap of understanding for example, I think that U.S. is, when it comes to Taiwan issue, U.S. may be on chapter three, but South Korea may be uh, on preface or introduction. Uh, it's just beginning. So different understanding, different uh, magnitude or impact on domestic politics, uh, different audience. And so we are working on uh, each other's uh, different domestic audience, different political circumstances. And while we are, you know, expanding our areas of cooperation uh, uh, in, when it comes to Taiwan issue. Having said that, South Korea is not in a position to exaggerate its current ability to intervene in case a war breaks out on the Taiwan Strait, given that, you know, South Korea faces immediate threats uh, from North Korea and China. That's why I think, uh, you know, enhancing uh, South Korea's own deterrence capability vis-a-vis North Korea and China is uh, so important. And only when South Korea feels that its own security concerns are assuaged uh, through the enhancement of a stronger uh, U.S.-Rock alliance uh, and uh, more, uh, uh, you know, uh, capable, military capabilities, uh, and, and then, you know, it will set the, you know, South Korea ability to, uh, uh, you know, move beyond the, act beyond the Korean Peninsula. And even this kind of, uh, you know, change will take time, because I remember uh, when I was uh, in Beijing, uh, you know, more than 10 years ago, there was a debate in China that whether China should also have an aircraft carrier. And the overwhelming uh, public opinion was that we don't, we don't need an aircraft carrier because it's so expensive and we don't need that. But I interestingly witnessed that as China become uh, more richer and powerful, the public opinion you know, gradually uh, changed. And now you know, they have, we, we are seeing a, a third Chinese-made aircraft carriers uh, so I think uh, the change of your capability also sets you free your mindset about what you could do and that you are able to dream and thinking about what was impossible before. So that's why I put that as a afterthought at the end of my article. So uh, in that spirit, uh, I think, that, for example, there will be when South Korea's new administration inaugurates, there will be discussions about what does it mean by U.S. extended deterrence 
could South Korea really look like? You know, South Korea shares a similar concern with Taiwan uh, when, when it comes to South Korea being attacked or in danger of military uh, any uh, uh, threats. U.S. is, uh, you know, obligated to help. But in what fashion and in what magnitude, in what specific uh, uh, formats and agreements is there? So the contents of uh, the so-called extended deterrence uh, uh, will be mapped out and uh, it will concretize uh, and it will, uh, uh, you know, enrich the contents of uh, South Korea, U.S. Uh, defensive capabilities and also the you know, nature of uh, their possible cooperation and actions, both inside the Korean Peninsula and outside the Korean Peninsula as well. Well, Dr. Lee, thanks so much for, for doing so much to provide so much context to what's clearly a very interesting and rapidly evolving relationship. I, I like a metaphor that you use for that we might just be on the preface of what could be a much longer story here. So I think we'll all be interested to see what happens as, as things unfold under the Yoon presidency. But I think you've done such a great job of, of providing that context. So thank you again. Lord, thank you so much. And thank you to all our listeners for joining us for another episode of GTI Insights. Many thanks also to the great staff and interns at GTI for all their help with every step of producing this podcast. If you're interested in learning more about GTI, be sure to check out our website at globaltaiwan.org, where you can find information about our Global Taiwan Brief, as well as our pub frequent public seminars. You can also listen to more episodes of GTI Insights on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Until next time, this has been GTI Insights. Thank you.